In this episode, I want to look at why Christians need to see the world differently than anyone else. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Let's talk about worldview. What is it? Why do we care? And how do we get one? Ultimately, everybody has a worldview. The best way I can explain it is with a personal example from my past. So when my wife and I were first married, I worked for her father-in-law, who was a professional wedding cake designer. And he didn't trust me with the exciting stuff, so instead I was the one baking the actual breaded cake parts. And when he was teaching me how to do it, one thing that I always had to do was to take a little wire mesh sifter and run the cake mix, like the flour, through that sifter. And when he was first telling me to do this, I thought it was kind of silly because it's just cake mix. You just mix the stuff up, bake it, and it's fine. That's what everybody does. But as he demonstrated to me what this sifter was actually doing, I realized that in any cake mix, even though everything seems all light and fluffy and powdery, whenever you run it through a fine sifter like that, the stuff that you want, of course, gets through because it's really small. But hidden within that cake mix was always tons of these little hard lumps of mix that had kind of clumped together. And the problem with that is that when you bake it, whenever you get one of those hard pieces, it makes your bite unsatisfying. And so my father-in-law would have me run all this cake mix through a sifter every single time. And every time I would, even though I couldn't see any lumps when I would first look at the cake mix, every time I ran it through that sifter, the entire bottom of that thing would just be covered with these rock hard lumps. And in a way, that's how we can understand our own worldview. Because a worldview is kind of like a filter or that sifter where we take in information, we take in thoughts, and we pass it through our worldview. And so what our worldview does is it catches things that are wrong and rejects them, or it allows through things that we agree with or that we think are correct. And so what our worldview then does ultimately is it tells us what is true while trying to reject what is false. And this is critical because everything that we believe determines what it is that we're going to do. So if we believe that something is true, we're going to act on that. If we believe something is wrong, hopefully we're going to act against that thing or we won't allow it to become a part of how we view truth. And so the reason that we're going to talk about worldview today is because our worldview actually sets the entire course for our life. It not only determines our actions, it affects our belief systems, our values, and even how we pursue our relationship with God through our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, where do we actually get our worldview from? Is this something that we can actually point to in our lives and say, aha, this is my worldview, or is there something more to it? Well, first we need to really look at what it is that influences our worldview in the first place. Because what we view as truth is always influenced by something in our world. And so that can be 
our society or the culture that we live in. So what the people around us view as truth is what we will view as truth. So years ago, for example, people thought that truth was an absolute thing, that there were rock-hard truths and rock-hard falsehoods. Well, today, the culture shifts into what is called postmodernism, which believes that truth is relative. It's a matter of opinion. And so a lot of people today are believing that we can't really know truth, that truth is just based on circumstances, and that there isn't an absolute right or an absolute wrong about anything out there. Now, that's not because people suddenly woke up and started realizing this, but because they grew up in a culture that started embracing that, their thoughts then start filtering everything through believing that there is no absolute truth. Now, likewise, our friends can influence what we believe is true, because these are the people that we trust enough to allow to affect us and influence our thoughts and actions and behaviors. So we may find truth based on how our friends have arrived at truth, or we may even abandon what we know to be true and right because of things like peer pressure. Because, well, my friends believe it, and I don't want to be weird, so I will start believing what it is that they believe. And we may not do that consciously, but it's a very true statement that who you hang around with influences who you become. And that's because who you hang around with determines your worldview. Another thing that influences our worldview is just our upbringing in general, because our parents are the ones who introduce us to the world. They tell us how things function. So as a silly example of that, if a parent is raising a child and they keep telling their child that the sky is green, a child's going to start understanding the world through the sky is green. They're going to believe that. Even though objectively and truthfully the sky is not green, their parents are the ones who affected how they viewed something as simple as the sky. Now that's silly, but really everything that we tell our kids, everything that our parents told us, taught us something about the world. So, for example, a lot of people today view God, the Father, as maybe a distant or even abusive person. They treat him as someone that they need to impress, and if they don't, then they need to live in fear of him. Well, where does that come from? Often, that comes from how the child interacted with their own father. So, if they grew up with a father who was distant, then their understanding of father sees that as someone who is distant. If their father was abusive or really judgmental or harsh, that's how they're going to interact with God because they see him in that same light because that is why ultimately God gave us fathers was to teach us a human example and a flawed example of who God is and how we relate to him as our heavenly father. And so everything about our upbringing is going to affect how we view the world. People who are angry easily often grow up seeing anger in their upbringing. People who are calm and peaceful and easily forgiving often learn that from their own parents. Now, another thing that affects worldview, and this may even be more popular today than ever before, is just our very emotions. How we feel about something determines our truth. So if we see something in the world and we feel like that's wrong, whether it's right or not, whether it's true or not, how we feel about it determines how we think about it and how it affects us and how we view it as truth. And so in our culture and in our society that is so interconnected, we have started creating worldviews that are very angry and quick to judge and quick to tear someone apart or cancel them, as the term is. 
And where does that come from? It's because our emotions determine what's true. So someone is guilty, someone is wrong, someone is sinful because of how we feel initially when we engage with them or when we hear about something they've done or said. And now, of course, the important place that we can get the, our worldview and the one that we're really going to talk about today is the Bible. Because if the Bible is from God and God is true, then what is in the Bible is going to be true and it's going to give us a good understanding and good principles of how to view the world in a way that God wants us to view it. Because the Bible, of course, is not a how-to manual. It's not going to address every little thing. So for something like stem cell research or abortion, we can't look in the Bible and say, what does God specifically say about this highly advanced medical or scientific thing that people back then had no clue of? And of course, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about it, but how we get our worldview from the Bible is that we look at what it teaches us about God, about ourselves, about the world, about human life, about all this different stuff. And from there, we form our worldview based on these timeless principles that we learn about through God's word that he's given us. And so when it comes to our worldview, ultimately, we're not going to get our worldview from one specific source. But what we view as the most important what we allow to influence us most is ultimately what is going to influence us the most. So let's use a very serious example of abortion. And we can run abortion through the different ways that the world views it and how, depending on where we find our highest source of truth, it's going to affect how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, view abortion. So we know that our society today continually embraces abortion more and more. And the farther we go along the more that people are finding reasons to be okay with abortion happening later and later and later in an unborn child's life. And so the more it becomes about, you know, human rights and us not having the right to tell someone what to do with their body or people just saying, well, it's a fetus, it's not a human being. The more society embraces that, if we are following their mentality, then how we view the unborn is also going to be affected to the degree that we see them as a lump of tissue until we agree with society to the point that it's finally a human being. And likewise, our friends, whether you're hanging around Christians or non-Christians, you're going to have people who may think that abortion isn't that big of a deal, that people make too much of an issue out of it, and it's just a bunch of you know, cranky pro-life people wanting to control society. And so if we want to kind of go along with our friends, we may be tempted to view abortion as an issue that we don't even need to think about. Because while we may even believe that the unborn are 100% human and in the image of God, if our friends don't want it to be a big deal, then maybe we just kind of push it down and suppress it and want to ignore what's happening to these people that we believe are truly people. Now, likewise, if you grew up in a very conservative home, you may have been taught to just outright reject abortion and view it as evil. You may not know why you think it's wrong or why you think it's evil. You may have some talking points from your parents, but ultimately, a lot of people, I think, view abortion as wrong simply because they were told to view it as wrong. And now people may think, well, that's great because they're rejecting it. And while it is great, that's not a good truth to stand on because what that means is that if someone comes along with a better reason to believe against it, then people are more likely to abandon what they were raised with because they don't fundamentally know why they believe what they believe. 
and now our emotions. And this is where I think a lot of people get their view of abortion from. Because our emotions will tell us maybe it's wrong to kill something that looks like a baby. Or our emotions tell us it's wrong to tell a woman what to do with her body. And so our emotions play a huge role in how we view something like abortion. And the thing about our emotions is that often they are influenced by other parts of our worldview. Because our emotions, while we may want to be led by them, where our emotions come from is influenced by what's already in our heart, what's in our minds. And that's where we get to what the Bible says about abortion. And again, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but it does give us principles that can influence how we view the world and specifically how we view abortion. So we know that the Bible says, do not commit murder. God hates murder. He made people in his image. He values all people and all human lives, and he does not want us to remove them from earth out of convenience or fear or whatever reason it is that we want to murder somebody. But then that brings up the question of, if murder is against a human being, does that actually apply to the unborn? And we can see how God views the unborn in Jeremiah 1.5. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And what we're seeing here is that God is setting up the future of Jeremiah when he is still unborn. God is treating him and thinking of him as a human being with a purpose in God's plan before he's born. And so we can see that if the unborn are human and it's wrong to murder, then ultimately, despite what society says, our friends, our parents, our emotions, if we are convinced that the Bible speaks against abortion, we have to be against abortion because we are for God most of all, not for society, not for our emotions. Those things need to agree and fall under the authority of the Bible, which is from the ultimate authority, which is God. And as we leave off this little example of abortion, if you want to learn more about this, I do actually have a very extensive series about it on my blog, which I will link in the show notes down below. But here we see that we can have very conflicting views on one single topic. And what we need to ask ourselves is, how do we know which of these is true? How do I know which one to follow? What is going to influence my thinking? And so here, our highest source of truth is going to interpret the others. So if we want to view society as the ultimate source of truth, then what we're going to do is, if society and culture and kind of popular opinion says one thing, and our friends say otherwise, we're going to look at our friends as though they are wrong and backwards and misguided. If we make the Bible, on the other hand, our highest source of truth, then whatever society says isn't going to matter. If society disagrees with the Bible, we're going to see that society is following a broken way of thinking because they are basically filled with sinful people with sinful thoughts. On the other hand, if we are just led by our emotions and everything that we feel becomes what we think is true, then we're going to look at something like the Bible and reinterpret it and change what it says to fit our worldview. We're going to pull verses and manipulate verses and read it in a way that's not being responsible with God's word, but instead making God's word agree with what we want it to say. Or we'll go the other way. And if the Bible isn't higher than society, our upbringing, our friends, our emotions, whatever, then we will just outright reject what it says because it is incompatible with what we want to believe is true. And so I hope that it's clear that 
worldview is so critical for us to consider because we can't escape it. Everything we think and say and do is fueled by what we view about the world. And so whether it's small life events, whether it's whether we think we should sleep in on a Saturday, whether it's major world events like COVID-19 or racism or whatever, how we view everything in life is going to come down to what our source of truth is, what our worldview follows. And now I want to move on to how worldview affects everything that we believe about life. Because ultimately, when we think about life, wherever you are, whatever time period you're living in, we always have these kind of big questions about life, things that everyone wonders about and wants to have answered. And so I want to just do a really quick comparison of how if we have a biblical worldview, we can answer these questions, or if we have an atheistic worldview, how we answer these questions. And of course, life doesn't break down to Christian versus atheism necessarily, but this is just going to be a very clear example that's going to lead me into the practical application of why we should care about this stuff. And so I want to talk about each question. I want to look at what an atheist would say, what a Christian would say. And as you're listening, I want you to ask yourself how much of one you agree with versus the other. So the first big question is, where does everything come from? Now, an atheist would say that the universe exists and continues by some kind of accident caused by the Big Bang or some other spontaneous event that happened. So time and space and matter are not eternal. That's the modern atheist understanding. There's still some who would say that everything has always existed, but there's some huge scientific and philosophical issues with that that I would love to get into, but I won't bore you with it. But ultimately, most atheists would say that everything had a beginning, but that that beginning just sort of happened. It was spontaneous. There was nothing, and then there was everything. And that's their understanding of where everything came from. So human species, rocks, the formation of planets, stars, everything just kind of happened for no reason with no provocation or guidance. It just wasn't, and then it was. Now, the Christian worldview, obviously, would say that the entire universe, life and everything in it, was purposely created by God. Now, we see that, of course, in Genesis 1.1, and that not only did God just sort of start everything and create everything, he also, through Christ, continues to uphold it. And we can see that in things like Hebrews 1.3 and in Colossians, where we see that Christ is still sustaining everything that exists, so that God is personal and that he actively made a choice to create something specific and then he stuck around. He didn't just wind up the clock and walk away. We see that God created and continues to support the existence of everything that we have. Now, two very different worldviews talking about the exact same thing. But what you believe about the universe, what you believe about God, obviously, is going to affect how you view this thing. Now, another question that we often ask is, who am I? Or what is my identity? What makes me matter? Now, for the atheist, they would say something about how our identities are about how we think of ourselves or how others think of us. In other words, what we do determines who we are. So our job, our hobby, our sexual preferences, our political affiliation, whether we're a parent or a grandparent or single, or just our popularity with others, you know, especially in the age of social media, who we are is determined by the number of followers that we have or how many retweets 
something that we say gets in a single day. That determines our innate value and our purpose that we find within ourselves is kind of how we or others view us. And that's very subjective, of course, right? Because we let others say who we are and others are driven by their own emotions and their own worldviews. And so our value comes down to how we can fit what others want to see in us. Now, for the Christian worldview, we realize that our purpose and meaning in life is not about us at all. It's about Jesus Christ. And while we can see that all throughout the Bible, if you just go to Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so who we are, our identity, isn't what we do, what we say, what we think, whether we're married, what our sexual preferences are. Nothing like that determines who we are, because who we are is found purely in Christ. That is timeless. That cannot be taken away or affected by anyone else, because the timeless and all-powerful God of the universe looks at us and says, you are in Christ. Your life is hidden in him. Everything about you belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we can find that offensive because that removes our pride and our sense of being and power. But that's what a Christian worldview is ultimately going to lead us to the more we read and study the Bible. And from there, we can start asking, well, what is my purpose in life? Now, for the atheist, the ultimate purpose in life is pleasure. That's the ultimate goal in life. A good life is determined by how happy you have been or what good you have done for yourself. So statements like follow your heart, be your best self, do what makes you happy. All of that comes from a worldview that says that the greatest thing you can do in life is to pursue happiness. And I think maybe more than anything, as Christians, we tend to agree with that. Everything we want, everything we do is determined by, will this make me happy? Is this what I want? Is this what will make me feel good? But if we introduce a biblical worldview into it, we can see that ultimately we weren't created to pursue happiness, to feel good about ourselves, to even be happy. Instead, our purpose in life is to love and serve God. And one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And at the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon after having lived a life of pursuing every pleasure, of really just living out the atheistic worldview. If you haven't read Ecclesiastes, I would highly recommend you do so. But at the end of a life where he did nothing but pursue pleasure and found everything to be empty and calling everything vanity and really just seeing the pointlessness of pursuing his own pleasure, this is what he realized about life. This is what he realized a biblical worldview required. He says in Ecclesiastes 12.13, the conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And so here, our purpose in life is to realize that there's something more than the here and now, that there is judgment, there is a life after death, there is an eternity awaiting us after this very, very brief 50 or 80 or 100 years is over on this earth because the life that we think we're going to have that is so long and filled with joy in two, three thousand years, in five million years, in the span of eternity, this life now is going to be just a little blip. It's going to be like our time at the age of two. We don't remember it. We know there was a lot of foolishness to it, 
But things that seemed so important as a two-year-old don't matter now anymore. And that's what we're going to realize in eternity is that everything in this life that we thought would bring us happiness and joy and satisfaction and contentment ultimately amounts to absolutely nothing. Because our eternal purpose, the reason we were created, was to love and serve God above all else. To find our joy and contentment and pleasure in Him alone, not the things of the world, not the good things that He gives us. We make those things God instead of being thankful to the God who gives them to us. And so it's through that that thankfulness to God, that service to God, that we can finally do what God calls us to do, which is to live holy lives. And we don't do it because we want to impress God or earn our salvation, but ultimately we want to live holy lives because we want to follow God. And following God will naturally result in loving holiness, hating the things of the world, hating our sin. Now, what about morality? How do we determine right and wrong? Different worldviews will tell us different things. So the atheist will say that things like morality and ethics are actually relative that there isn't any objective way to say this is right, this is wrong. Instead, they'll say that, well, based on the setting and the culture and the beliefs of the people, or even ultimately what someone feels is right and wrong, determines what is right and wrong. And so this kind of stems from this idea of just pursuing pleasure, because there is no wrong way to pursue pleasure. Now, if people are honest, they will try to qualify it and say something like, well, Good and evil is determined by if it hurts someone else. If you're doing something and it's not negatively impacting someone else, then it's fine. It's right. It's good. But if what you're doing or what you're saying negatively impacts somebody else, then it's evil and wrong. And now what's really interesting about this is that as Christians, we can almost agree with that in that good and evil are determined by what they affect or where they stem from. But whereas... The atheist would say that perhaps ultimately good and evil is determined by what's best for the group. From a biblical worldview, we would say that right and wrong is determined by God's character and what he thinks about it. And we can see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, where it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so ultimately, our highest source, our greatest understanding of right and wrong, good and bad, is determined by who God is, what he views as right and wrong. And this is good because we see in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts are deceptively wicked. Our hearts are full of lies. So if we leave it to ourselves to determine right and wrong, We're going to manipulate what right and wrong truly is. Instead, God sets himself as the ultimate standard for good and evil. And in his goodness and love, he's even given us the Holy Spirit, whose job it is, among many things, to actually convict us of sin, to lead us towards good, and to make us want to turn away from wrong. Because we, in ourselves, are not capable of doing any good. We can do nothing that is good or of value, nothing that ultimately aims to please God above all. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us on the day of salvation, we can do good. We can please God because the Holy Spirit is making us more like God, more like Jesus Christ, and less like the world that hates him. And then finally, what happens when we die? The ultimate question, that that darkness that always hangs over us, Where are we going? What's after all of this? Now, if you're an atheist, nothing. When you die, you're done. Your existence is over. 
you go back into the earth and you make it possible for other things to keep growing and persisting in their own existence. Now, from the Christian worldview, we know that at death, we're going to be judged for how we violated God's laws, and we're going to be punished accordingly. And as we all know, we are all incapable of doing good. So does that mean we're all in trouble? Yes, but we have hope in escaping eternal damnation and being rightfully punished for our sins because if we are in Christ, if we have realized our inability to save ourselves and realized that we stand guilty before God and if we've called out to Christ to save us, then he replaces that sinfulness, that darkness, that miles-long crime sheet of ours and instead gives us his righteousness. And so when we die and we stand before him on the day of judgment— God is going to look at us and see that our sins have already been paid for, and therefore we don't need to be punished for anything because God is good. God is just. He's not going to punish us for something that's already been paid for. He's not going to collect a debt on a debt that's already been cleared. And so on the cross, that's what Christ did. He paid our debt. He cleared what we owed to God. He took that punishment that we deserved. And so now, after we die— we are forgiven. We are in right standing with God, and we will get to enjoy an eternity with him purely because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, having listened to all those and seeing how two different worldviews take on the exact same questions and come to very different understandings and conclusions, I assume most people listening to this are going to say, oh yeah, the Christian one, that one's great. I totally agree with that one. So does that make us okay? Does that mean that our worldview is right because we agree more with the Christian worldview than the atheist one? And this is where worldview can really become practical and can even help us to love God even more. Because as I said in the beginning, what we do is affected by what our worldview truly is, what our highest source of truth is. And because of that, we can believe the Bible and we can live in society, and we can have friends, and we can have our emotions, and all of those things are going to work together to lead us to acting and thinking in a certain way. But as I said, our highest authority is going to come before everything else. And that's why purposely setting out to grow a biblical worldview is so important. Because despite believing that God created the universe, that right and wrong is determined by him and him alone. Despite believing that our purpose in life is to serve and glorify God above all else, we don't always live that way. If we're honest, if we look at the atheist worldview and how the atheist determines truth and what motivates their actions, a lot of us are going to realize that we actually live like we are part-time atheists. Now, what do I mean by that? When we fear, when we have anxiety, or when we have doubt, that shows us where we're placing our trust. If we are trusting ourselves and our own power to get out of a situation, we're going to fall to despair. We're going to be anxious. We're going to be angry. Why? Because we realize that we, in and of ourselves, are incapable of saving ourselves. We don't have the power to make sure that bad situations turn out okay. However, if we truly and genuinely believe that God is in control and that that is the most important truth, despite what our emotions say, despite what our logic says about a situation, if we trust that God is in control, then even that life-ending cancer diagnosis isn't going to result in despair because we're going to know that if God's in control and we have cancer, God is still in control. That us being negatively affected doesn't 
change who God is or how good he is or how much we love and serve him. Because if God has allowed it, there is a purpose to it. Maybe his purpose is to heal us so that we can glorify him. Maybe his purpose is for our time on earth to be cut short and we get to see him sooner. But in that brief time, we can still love and serve him because we know that that is our purpose. Our purpose isn't good health and long life and joy and happiness and being pain-free or never having suffering. Instead, if we know that our purpose is love and serve God, whatever happens, we can trust and rest above all else. Now, another way that our worldview shows that we live like part-time atheists is what happens when addiction comes around. So it doesn't matter if you are addicted to pornography or watching TV or social media or even substances like drugs or alcohol. Ultimately, what addiction comes down to is we are choosing what feels good at that moment despite what we know to be right or wrong. What we view as good in that moment will determine whether we give in to that addiction whether we allow it to control us or whether we say, no, I want this, but I want God more. God says this is wrong. God has convinced me through the Holy Spirit that sitting and watching TV for hours or staying up late and looking at my phone or taking that drink or using that drug, whatever, how we determine truth, what we view as our ultimate good in life and our ultimate purpose is going to determine whether we agree with the atheists that my satisfaction comes above all else or whether we agree with God that self-denial may be necessary because even though it is painful, it leads to something better because our satisfaction ultimately is in God. Even though this addiction may feel good now, I want something better. I want something lasting. I want something that I can keep returning to that will grow me, not destroy me. Or maybe you struggle with gossip or being angry silently about people in your mind or whatever that looks like in your life. Because where do things like gossip come from or why do we tear people down in our minds? It can come from a number of places. It can be that we desire a feeling of power. It can be that we enjoy hurting others. Or we may want to fit in with the people we're gossiping with because that feels better than building up someone made in the image of God. But whatever our reasons, if we gossip, if we tear others down, that shows where our hope is, where our satisfaction is found. Now, of course, if we continue thinking about our own personal sins, we're going to realize that our worldviews are broken. Every single one of us, no matter how holy a person's life may be, we're not going to have a perfect worldview. We're not going to live up to good and truth all the time. But the beautiful thing is that when we sin, we see ultimately where our worldview is lacking. So we may trust God in a big sense. You know, we may trust that the Bible is true, that God made everything, that he created us with a purpose and that he wants us to love and serve him. But when we sin, we're going to see where those smaller motivations are coming from. And we're going to see that when we sin, we are driven by the same things that atheists are driven by. We're going to be pursuing the same good that atheists pursue. Now, that's not, of course, to say that atheists are always evil and that they can't have any good in them or anything like that, but their worldview is based on a foundation that begins with, there is no God. Therefore, I am the most important person in my world. And as Christians, we can't do that. We see everywhere in the Bible that that is pride, that is self-idolatry, that is setting us up above God. And so if our motivations, if our goals in life match in atheists, we need to ask, 
is their worldview really that close to truth? Or is our worldview so depraved and so lacking that we can do and say things and desire things that are no different than those who are still enemies of a holy God? So maybe that's scary. Maybe that's convicting and maybe that's overwhelming. But as Christians, we don't want to shy away from what we know is true and important. So how do we go about viewing the world correctly? You know, if we see an area in our life that is sinful or wrong or misled, how do we correct it? How do we get a view that lets us see the world in the way that God sees it, in a way that brings honor to Jesus Christ? Well, number one, the first thing we need to do is to let the Bible be our highest source of truth. So in Psalm 119, verses 98 to 100, David says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. Now, I love what David has to say about the value of God's word, because what he says is that there are people out there who are smarter than me, people out there who are seen as so wise, but because David had the word of God, he had wisdom beyond them. He understood more than those who were God's enemies. And we have that same God giving us his word. So if we want to be wise, if we want to view the world correctly, we need to think like David and say that because the Bible is my foundation, because I draw my truth out of it daily, because I look to it as my source of truth. I don't let my emotions interpret the Bible. I don't let society interpret the Bible. I don't let whatever corrupt thinking is in the world determine the Bible. Then I can be wise. I can understand more. Even though people may be able to argue better or think better or sound more right than me or someone can beat me in a debate, ultimately, because I have God's word, I know that I am following truth more than they are. And that, ultimately, is what our worldview is about. And we see this further in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you want to read this, I would start at verse 10, uh, 10 to 17. But we're going to jump in at verse 13, which says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now there is a lot to this passage, and throughout my previous episodes I've kind of hit on this in several different ways. But what I want to draw out of it right now is kind of the breakdown that we see. So here, Paul is warning, first of all, when he talks about evil men and imposters, he's warning against deceptive beliefs. Because all throughout, especially the New Testament and even the Old Testament, we are warned against false teachers, false prophets, following the thinking of the world. And here, Paul just echoes that command we see over and over again, that just because something seems right doesn't mean it is. And then as he goes on encouraging Timothy... He contrasts these evil men and these broken beliefs with what we gain from God's word. And he talks about how the Bible is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And I've got a whole episode about what that exactly means when we talk about what the Bible actually is. But what's important is that as Paul goes on in verse 
16 and 17, he talks about just how useful the Bible is for every area of life. Everything we need is going to be found in God's word. Again, it's not a science book. It's not a rule book. It's not going to give us an exact answer for every situation. But because it is inspired by God, the truth within it can affect our worldview so much that we can properly think and interpret and react to anything that happens in a way that's going to please God. And that's because at the very end of 17, like he says, God's word equips us for every good work. And that every good work includes how we think, how we respond, and how we engage with this world. And then finally, I want to talk about a really great verse that just talks about worldview specifically. Now that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, a lot of times this thing gets used, I think, some incorrectly. So Paul starts by talking about weapons that we use for warfare. And he talks about how it's not physical, but it's more spiritual. It's not that we are wrestling against the natural world. And so a lot of people want to read this and they take it in the direction of Hollywood and they see this big battle against demons and things like that. But if we really read it, what this is doing is Paul is talking about how we are fighting against worldviews. We are fighting against belief systems that are so entrenched in people that it becomes who they are. And so when we are waging war, when we are bringing weapons, it's not that we are literally fighting some kind of spiritual forces, but instead, Paul clarifies what these weapons are. He talks about we are waging war, and how do we do this? How do we wage this war? By taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, worldview. Worldview is our weapon. Worldview is how we fight the wrong philosophies of the world, how we get past things that society says are right, how we get past our emotions, how we get through the clutter and the noise of a world that wants to do everything it can not to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And how do we fight that? We don't do it by passing laws. We don't do it by making people act right because it's not about the physical world. The only way that people change, the only way people will see truth is when they realize the brokenness and the flaws and the emptiness of their thinking and instead submit to Christ and give their minds over to him to allow Christ above all to change how they view the world. Because it's not about their actions. It's not about doing right. It's about doing right for the right reasons. And that starts with our worldview. Now, that's all to say that's the first way that we view the world correctly is by letting the Bible be our highest source of truth and letting the Bible be what we use to point out the flaws in the world system. Now, we follow that up then when we have the Bible as our foundation by, number two, we focus on things that will feed our minds properly. Because if we realize that we are actively involved in a day-to-day struggle against a worldview that hates God, that wants to do everything it can to make us God instead of him, then we need to be ready for that. We need to be not engaging and embracing the things that the world loves. And there is so much in our life that is going to be fueled by certain worldviews. So, you know, one big way 
that people get their worldview is through news sources. So whether you're watching MSNBC or Fox News, everyone there has an agenda, and ultimately that agenda is not to bring glory to Christ. Now, if you want a good news source, I highly, highly recommend the podcast called The Briefing with Albert Moeller, and I'll link that down below. But what he does is he takes the news of the day and filters it through a biblical worldview. He puts into practice everything that we're talking about today. So if you want to see what this looks like and how to view things in the world in a way that brings glory to Christ, I cannot recommend that podcast enough. But of course, there's other things that affect our worldview. The books that we read are going to impact how we view things because that author is coming from a particular worldview. He has a particular thing that he believes about life, and that's going to come through with what they're writing. Now, another thing are the places that we spend our time on on the Internet. So we can spend time on hobby sites and talking online and things like forums or on social media and things like that, and there's value to that. But ultimately, those things aren't going to feed our minds properly. So a good thing to do with our time on the Internet is to find certain blogs or certain podcasts that we can spend quality time using to feed our minds to help us get a more biblical worldview. Now, of course, Onward in the Faith exists for that very reason. I want to look at every area of life, whether it's mental health, whether it's current events, whether it's what the Bible is, whatever. I want to filter that through a biblical worldview and view everything that we see in life in a way that brings glory to Christ. But of course, I am by far not the only one, and I'm definitely not the best one. So I would really recommend get out there, find really good podcasts, really good blogs, or pastors who teach good sermons, or whatever it is that is going to help you grow in your thinking so that you can focus more on Christ and viewing things through him instead of letting the world mix weirdly with Christ and compromise his truth. And then, of course, there's things like music and really, you know, anything that we listen to or take in and consume is going to feed us. And maybe that's the best term to think of is what we consume is affecting our worldview. So we need to be very careful to consume, to take in things of value, things that are healthy, things that are going to grow us and not destroy us. And now, number three, once we've sought the Bible and, and realized how valuable and important it is to our lives— and then once we've taken that and used the Bible as our worldview to then find other sources and find other people who are also trying to honor God through their worldview, the last thing that we can do to keep growing is to practice, to put our worldview into action. And that can look like many different things. It can come from talking to people. Now, whether that is an iron sharpening iron situation where we're talking to another brother or sister in Christ and help having them help us shape our worldview and then we help them sharpen their own. It can also be how we talk to people online. And if someone is viewing what we're saying and saying, oh, well, they're getting angry, they are pledging allegiance to a political party, they are using bad Bible interpretation methods like anyone else, those things give us a good opportunity to sharpen what we're doing. And when we're first starting out, ultimately we're going to fail a lot and that's okay. It's important to fail because failure is where we see our weakness. It's where we can grow. So as you're going out and talking to people and engaging with the world, be okay with looking like a fool. Be okay with falling flat and having everyone mock you because a year from now, 
that mistake's not going to happen again. You're going to see where you need to study, where you need to grow, where you need to learn how to talk to people even. And it's going to let you put your worldview into practice in a way that you're never going to do by sitting silently and never engaging with anyone else. Another thing is to put into practice a worldview by doing, like I said, with a filter, by listening to news sources, listening to other blogs or podcasts or reading books that you don't agree with, and instead of trying to find truth in them, hold what they say as truth against the Bible. Filter it. See if you can find what their worldview is, what they value, where they say their purpose in life, or why they were created, or what their identity is. See where they find salvation in the world. You know, right now we have a lot of people saying, here's what society needs, here's what the world needs. And when people say those things, what they're ultimately saying is, we need to be saved from this thing. And here is what our savior will be. So whether it's political or social or economic, everyone has something that we need to be saved from, and they have the solution. They have our salvation. That's worldview. So filter that through the Bible, through what others are saying that you trust, and see if you can spot someone's worldview and figure out how you can think through it properly. And then as you're doing all this, keep finding people that you trust and check with them to see if you're thinking correctly. Again, iron sharpens iron. And we, as people, are made to exist in a community. We are made to grow each other. We're not made to be independent islands where we stand alone against the world. We are meant to grow and be challenged alongside other people who are also trying to just love and serve Christ like we are. So when it comes to worldview, ultimately, we just want to glorify God. We want to glorify him with our hearts, but we also want to glorify him with our minds. And we don't do that by just thinking good thoughts or being nice people or being good people. We do it by having a worldview that points to him, that's affected by him. And when we do that, we can act in a way that honors God. We can think in a way that honors God. Everything in our life is going to point to Jesus Christ most of all, because that is what our worldview is set on. Because the opposite solution. And and the only other thing we can do, if we're not thinking in a way that honors God, we have to think in a way that matches his enemies. And we don't want that. We don't want to think in a way that matches a depraved mind. We don't want our thoughts and our actions and our motivations to be indistinguishable from those who have not been redeemed by Christ, who have not been given the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so if we want to honor God, if we want to love and serve him most of all, it begins And it ends by letting the Bible, more than anything else, be our filter as we view the world biblically. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. I hope that you have been challenged and encouraged to focus on your own worldview and refine it and start viewing the world in a way that honors Christ even more than it did yesterday. If you want to support this ministry and this work that I do in giving you a biblical worldview, you can support me at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. Now, keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.